How can an entrepreneur survive being in the Army, working for a large firm, and being a contestant on a game show? Welcome to Venture Voice, show number eight. I'm Greg Gallant, and today we're interviewing Kelly Purdue. Kelly may be best remembered for his military style in The Apprentice 2. He ended up winning The Apprentice 2. But what many people may not know is that he actually started his career after he got out of the Army and got an MBA JD as an entrepreneur, and though he took a brief stop at Deloitte, started more companies, and has quite the varied resume before he got to the Trump Organization. Now, as he was when he worked at Deloitte and when he was in the military, he's an entrepreneur, again in a larger corporate structure, working for Trump. He seems to still have his entrepreneur style, and today talks a little about how he's kept his style through his many different ventures and what it's like now working for Trump. He's got five more months left with Trump. You can make your own guess as to whether or not he's going to stay working for Trump or go on, off on his own again as an entrepreneur. Enjoy. Kelly, welcome to Venture Voice. Thanks, Greg. Nice to be here. You started your career in the Army. We were wondering what led you to decide to join the Army, and did you know that you liked entrepreneurship at the time? You chose to go into regimented career, or is that something you discovered later? Well, um, the, the decision to go into the Army I had to make uh, uh, while graduating from high school. I actually went to West Point, uh, the United States Military Academy, and part of the deal with attending any of the uh, service academies is that you agree to a, some term of commitment uh, post-schooling where you become an officer in, in my case for the uh, for West Point it was the Army so I kind of signed up for that at the right old age of about 17 and a half <laughs> and uh, really really found great principles um, that were instilled and taught at West Point and then reinforced uh, during active duty while I was in the military to me uh, in the different uh, entrepreneurial ventures that I've been involved with uh, helped me immensely in those, and I, I really can't stress enough all those, like you just said, the uh, almost the, the rigid, the fundamental, the discipline, the duty, the passion, the teamwork, the selfless service, all of those have served me well in the different entrepreneurial ventures. In terms of when I, uh, when I actually started down that entrepreneurial path, I think the groundwork was laid, laid for me with that while I was at West Point. I uh, worked at the House Armed Services Committee one summer with a top secret security clearance and was able to see how uh, bills were actually put together, the markup of, of a bill in kind of closed-door sessions. And it was very insightful to me, very uh, kind of almost inspirational watching the impact that the businesses had on what was going on in Washington, D.C. And I guess from that point forward, it kind of got me on the path of the JD and the NBA track. And then uh, as I got more involved with the, 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 the MBA program at the Anderson School at UCLA, I met, spoke to, and worked with different entrepreneurs from different tracks. And having watched my father be a land developer growing up, uh, he basically worked for himself since he was about 19 years old. I guess it was in my blood a little bit. So when you were, at, when you were getting your MBA and your JD, what did you notice was some of the most useful experiences that people had had? The things that impacted me the most were the actual teamwork with people with all the multiple disciplines on the same team, working together for kind of a common solution. It was very reminiscent of what occurred in the military. In terms of skill sets that other people had that I saw that were useful from, on an entrepreneurial uh, aspect, uh, a deep understanding of finance and not just um, you know accounting in the books and how to understand uh, building a business from fundamentals on, on numbers, but also on the fundraising process 
understanding what it takes, especially as an entrepreneur, to either you know bootstrap it yourself or you know raise raise enough money that you can get a product or service to market and then create a company that will become self-sustaining and profitable over time. So what was your first venture? My first venture was a company called ImageTel, and it was a video conferencing company. Uh, we had two products, a four-foot by seven-foot video wall, and then a roll-around, uh, I think it was a 32-inch kind of flat panel, or at least flat screen at the time. While I was in school, raised about half a million dollars for that, and we got both products to market with some blue-chip customers, uh, Lehman Brothers, Aetna, the FBI, all, uh, all paying customers, and uh, things seemed like they were going very well. We uh, worked with Lehman Brothers to put together a private placement memorandum to raise about $10 million in open sales offices in, I think, five different cities in the U.S. And during that process, Microsoft and Intel announced they were bringing video conferencing to the desktop. <laughs> Typically, you don't necessarily want either one of those entities, you know, kind of competing with you in any way. Um, certainly, you don't want both of them, and it made it very difficult to raise the funds uh, to, to continue to grow the business. We were doing things like factoring orders from our clients. Um, I ended up going pretty far in the hole uh, financially, and uh, it was quite a learning experience for me. Was there any specific thing that you can recall when maybe something might have gone awry had it not been for the training you received in the Army and what you kind of disciplined you got out of that? In, in, in terms of things that I did and how I, how I responded to situations that helped me steer clear of different obstacles, is that the question? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think, you know, I can attribute a, a number of my successes to um, the training that I received, whether it be the, the importance of integrity and in dealing with investors and making sure that they're constantly aware of the situation that's going on. The, I guess you would call it uh, kind of the planning and preparation in terms of having all my ducks in a row when I go into a room to either ask for money uh, from an investor, uh, put together a deal with a partner, uh, or speak to a client or customer about the, the product or services that I'm providing. I think all of those come through loud and clear. You know, I, I can't know how things would have gone if I hadn't had it since that didn't occur. But I, I'm, I'm certain that those things have impacted me in a positive manner. What did you do after ImageTel didn't work out? I went uh, to Deloitte Consulting for about two years to get back in the black financially. And that was a fantastic opportunity for me to, again, work with some incredibly smart people and do some very neat things in an organization with a lot of different resources. Um, and that was my first experience, uh, other than the military, working in a large organization, definitely the first in a large corporate organization. I think that everybody in their career path needs to spend some time uh, learning different skills. And, and there are only certain times in your career when you can do that. And I, I think, became uh, increased my expertise exponentially with uh, Excel, PowerPoint, um, and my ability to do interviews, meet with uh, talk with different customers and clients of, of Deloitte Consulting. It was a great opportunity for me to not only uh, make a little more cash back that I lost in that first venture, but uh, really gain some skill sets that have served me well going forward. What were some of the hardest things about being at Deloitte as an entrepreneur? <laughs> That's easy. Um, I was always the one at the, uh, at the company meetings with my hand up asking when we were going to do profit sharing, uh, uh, you know, whether or not there could be equity. Uh, you know, wh why did I have to... Uh, do interviews and work on spreadsheets when I wanted to bring in business. So I was definitely kind of bursting at the seams uh, with the entrepreneurial stuff that I like to do in that organization. But uh, to, to Deloitte's credit, they did a great job of uh, 
still still keeping me interested for quite a period of time. I spent about I think it was right around two years with Deloitte. So do you think that they appreciated that um, that kind of anxiousness anxiousness <laughs> that you had, or were they um, a little more hesitant about it? They, I think they they definitely embraced it um, and understood where it was coming from. I you know. I can I can be a little aggressive, so I, I'm not sure it always came through the right way. But they definitely understood it, and uh, you know, gave me the answers whether I liked them or not uh, was was not was not the case. They definitely gave me answers though. So you put your time in at Deloitte, and what was next for you? Uh, after that, I went to a company called eTeams. Uh, it's still in existence. It's an amateur sports portal. Uh, basically, it's everything you need for your amateur sports existence. So you think uh, little league teams. Um, we create. We had te- you know template-driven wizards that would basically allow a webmaster to create the schedule, standing roster, you know who's Cookie Mom next week, directions to the, to the game. Aunt Edna in Ohio can see how little Johnny did in his little league game and write a nice something in the guest book for him. And it just caught on like wildfire. It was really fun to work in a business that I was also passionate about. I played a lot of sports uh, growing up. And a lot of the lessons I learned uh, in those sports uh, endeavors have served me well going forward. Again, the teamwork and the selflessness and uh, really putting everything on the table every time you get an opportunity to do it. Um, E-teams, we raised, uh, we won the business playing competition at UCLA's business school. We raised about a million dollars from the Tech Coast Angels, the Southern California angel organization. And then we raised about four million more dollars from venture capitalists in uh, second round and grew the company to, I think we were up to about 50 people, and we had, this is the time of, you know, growing traffic, attracting eyeballs. Um, we had, I think, the only two sports sites that had more traffic than we did were CBS Sports Line and ESPN. You know, we, had, we, had, we were, according to Media Metrics, going, uh, you know, having a lot more activity on our site than a PGA Tour, even NASCAR. So that was, that was a pretty exciting time. We ended up going to... Uh, there were three different comp- major competitors at the time. The other two had raised substantially more, in one case, ten times more money than we'd raised, and had focused on revenue generation while we had been focused on capturing eyeballs and getting people stuck to the site. We decided which one of those two entities we thought had the best chance of going forward and the one that uh, the founder would like to spend you know, spend time working with, and we chose Active.com. Do you run uh, marathons or triathlons? No, I don't. Okay, well, if, if any of the listening audience has, I'm sure they've used Active.com's registration module. Basically, they provide all the registration tools for kind of individual athletic events. And E-Teams now sports, I'm thinking, I think it's over 2.3 million amateur teams. Every country in the world, every sport you can think of, tips, drills, and instructions for people in those sports all of the templates I described in terms of providing you a place to actually show off and exchange information and helpful advice on whatever sport you're playing. And we ended up selling it to Active for, I believe it was two or two and a half times investors' capital in. What do you think was done differently with Active, or was anything done differently on your part with Active as opposed to ImageTel that made it uh, successful? I mean, you can have the best idea in the world and a fantastic team assigned to you. And I do believe that you make your own luck, but market timing really is very important. And having the resources available to execute on those items so that you're poised for that market timing is critical. That's something that we did not have at ImageCell. And we also at eTeams made the decision to, you know, take 
take our our cut early and we decided, okay, let's look at this, what's happening with the path in the future, and everything that we thought would occur actually did occur. Active ended up being the acquiring entity for all of the other um, kind of competitors in the market space, and those that didn't get acquired by Active kind of fell by the wayside. So we made what we thought was a, you know, a prudent decision at the time for our investors and for ourselves, and then uh, pulled the trigger, and it worked out great. If you were filmed while you were working on all these entrepreneurial ventures, do you think that you'd come, come off the way that you did on The Apprentice? <laughs> um, I guess it depends who's editing it. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, I, I think that the, uh, the image cell was 90, 95, 96, 97. Deloitte was 98, 99. E-Teams was, you know, through 2000, 2001. Um, and I've, I've gained significant experience since those times. So one, one of the things that I said about the show was that I could see a little bit of myself and my past in each of the other kind of candidates. Kind of Raj is wanting to be the center of attention. Andy's creativity uh, in terms of coming up with ideas. Uh, John's passion for stuff. Kevin's work ethic. And one of the things I think that uh, was interesting for me was being able to kind of have that perspective and see see all those different kind of various stages in my in my life and in my in my business life, and you know I don't know if some of those would have been more pronounced perhaps to my detriment if you if you'd filmed me during those periods before. So over the uh, I guess over the ten years since Image Tell, how would you say that you've changed? Do you think you're more or less aggressive? Do you think you're more or less comfortable with change? Yeah, I'm a lot more comfortable with change. I understand that decisions have to be made with imperfect information. There's no way to analyze it, you know, until you get 100% accuracy on the decision that you're making. And what I've seen in a lot of very successful entrepreneurs, including Donald Trump, is the ability to, you know, have that gut feel that enables you to very um, confidently make a decision without 100% information and to convey that confidence to those around you so that you're leading, you know, you're leading a, a team that knows they've got a leader who knows how, to make a who knows how to make a decision at the helm. How do you know when it's time to decide by your gut or when it's time to rely on uh, do more research? Well, that's, that's, the, uh, that's a lot of the big differences uh, in the successful entrepreneurs. Uh, I don't know if I can analytically describe to you how you know. I just know... One, that I trust my gut a lot more than I used to. <laughs> if something doesn't seem right, I consider that it isn't right and either don't do it or, you know, extricate myself from the situation. And kind of, kind of two, it's one of those, it's not, an easy, it's not a good answer, probably not one you look for, it's can you know when you know. You're like, okay, that's enough time spent mulling about trying to, trying to analyze this. Either the market, the customer, the product, whatever it is, now is the time we need to make a decision. It's like uh, uh, when you, I guess when you're playing basketball, when you know to put the shot up versus continuing to pass it. When you know to, um, on the battlefield, um, you know, assault the enemy rather than take up defensive positions. You get it, you get, you definitely get a feel for it as you do it more. So have your instincts gotten better over these times or have you, or have they always been good and now you just know to trust them? I, I definitely ignored my gut on a lot of different uh, di uh, different deals or different uh, relationships with the you know, business partners, and it cost me. So I guess my instincts were, you know, were, were I don't know what would have happened if I'd done a different path with some of those, but I do know that the path I took when I went against my gut didn't turn out that well. So 
my instincts, or at least my gut, seemed like it was working pretty good. Uh, just my ability to listen to it's gotten better. And the other big piece of what I've learned is nothing is ever as really good or as bad as it seems at the time as an entrepreneur. I mean, at E-Teams, we kept a uh, one of those spin dials on the wall that would either be a smiley face or a frowny face. And you could literally, during the course of the day, have it switch back and forth, you know, 10 or 20 times, depending on, you know, how things were going with an investor, you know, what the numbers were on the website, whether our discussions on acquisition were going well. You really have to have kind of an even keel as an entrepreneur or you're going to go insane. You were working on several ventures in early 2000. What led you to decide to, well, what exactly were you doing when you decided to go on The Apprentice, and why did you decide to go on The Apprentice? Uh, yeah, I, I had started a company called uh, Motor Pride, which is, which is sim- very similar to E-Teams, and then it provides templates for people who have are in truck, car, motorcycle clubs, or have their own souped-up Camaro or Mustang or whatever, basically whatever kind of wheels that they own, if they're proud of them, it enables them to show that off and also trade information and compare information with other people who have the similar type of passion. And that one I bootstrapped uh, instead of going out to raise money from investors. So that was kind of something that I was doing on the side. And at, the, at that time, I was also the president of Core Objects, which is an outsourced software development company. Um, I think we're close to 200 employees now. At the time, we were at, I think, just over 100 employees when I tried out for The Apprentice. And we basically build software for software companies, used a lot of the VC channels that uh, the founder of that company and I had developed over the years um, to help them with their portfolio companies. Seven or eight years ago, venture capitalists wouldn't give you money if you were developing your software offshore because they were concerned about the intellectual property. Now they require it because of the competitive uh, nature of the business and the, the pricing and the expertise and the skill sets that have been developed in some of the offshore companies. So they require you know, that some portion of your development actually occur offshore. So as that trend continued, you know, Core Objects took advantage of that, and it was a lot of fun uh, with that team growing the company. The question on The, the Apprentice was that it was, actually, it was actually my brother um, who also went to Anderson four years after I did, um, sent me an email that came through Anderson where they were uh, going to have a casting call. Burnett, you know, Mark Burnett was doing a casting call at the business schools, various business schools throughout the country, in addition to the large kind of cattle call, casting calls in the major cities. And I, I got the original email and I deleted it and said, nah, no, I'm not going to do that. And my brother forwarded to me and said, you've got to do this. It's perfect. It's a perfect show designed specifically for kind of your behavior and your the way you look at stuff and the business acumen and everything else. And he uh, he turned out to be <laughs> accurate. So things are going pretty well with core objects and things are starting to pick up with Motor Pride. Were you worried at all that maybe you get cut from The Apprentice just for entertainment value and meanwhile you've taken your eye off of uh, your ventures that were fledgling and had a lot of potential? Yeah, that was a big concern, um, and there was a trade-off from my from, from my standpoint. I looked at it like, okay, you know, as long as I don't get fired on task one, because yeah, I mean, at, at the time you're going into it, you have no idea who the other candidates are, you have no idea, kind of the vagaries of uh, of of reality television on what's going to occur, and so there is a trade-off of okay, I've got to take time away from my real businesses to go see if I can make this occur. That decision actually. I ended up making the decision on the marketing value I thought that I would capture in any event would hopefully make up for any lost time of me being focused on the businesses. 
core objects I wasn't is not I was not as worried about. We had a phenomenal team in place. Motor Pride was basically a virtual company. My business partner and I started it. I had over the course of the years, I have developers, I have graphics people, I have wide area network people, I have subject matter experts. You know, none of these people had ever met each other, and we built the, you know the Motor Pride became the company kind of virtually. So I. That one I had to go find a general manager for. And I found a general manager who's actually a car nut. And another learning point for me was, um, as I've watched what he's done in managing the business, I should have extricated myself earlier. Because <laughs> he's definitely set on the accelerator, if you'll pardon the pun on that, for Motorprod. And um, done a lot of great things. I'm a good company builder, and I understand community building and setting those tools up. I needed his subject matter expertise in the actual you know, motor ver- vertical earlier, and I'm glad it ended up being a blessing in disguise at the time that I stepped away from that when I did, in terms of hands-on daily operations. When you were looking at, at the marketing value of, uh, of going on The Apprentice, being a finance guy, did you try to put a number on it? Did you say, you know, going on The Apprentice is going to, you know, be equivalent to $2 million in marketing for this company? There wasn't an actual number that we put on it. It was, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to kind of give my best effort Hopefully that will come through and reflect and reflect well on all the organizations that I've you know have been or are associated with. And I guess it worked for you. Uh, so far, so good. Knock on wood. So when you were in the Apprentice, what experience did you say helped you the most? Was it working at Deloitte, being in the Army, or being an entrepreneur with all these various ventures? Uh, probably in, in order of um, impact, I would say my military background and the kind of the, the skills and traits that I received and honed and developed in that, in that environment, first of all. Second would be probably Anderson School, the, the collaborative teamwork environment that exists at the business school there, and then the entrepreneurial ventures of actually running the different ventures um, was, also, was also pretty important. Do you think it's a coincidence that Bill Rannick, the winner of the first apprentice, and you were both entrepreneurs in previous lives? Well, I think being an entrepreneur definitely gives you an advantage. You know, thinking on your feet, uh, taking responsibility for your actions, being willing to actually step up and do what you say you're going to do, you know, key characteristics of an entrepreneur. I think that that helps us, helped us to excel in the different tasks. And I think it also, you know, Donald Trump's an entrepreneur, you know, kind of loves developing business, loves real estate, is extremely passionate about what he does. And I think he can see that in others as well. The Apprentice was a business competition, but to be a successful show, it had to have entertainment value. How did that affect you, the kind of trade-off that they'd have to make between being <laughs> accurate to business and being entertaining to their audience? Right. Well, I, I did not attempt to be entertaining, <laughs> I, um, although sometimes it might have seemed that way. I mean, they, I think I was cast as kind of a military character, right, based on my background and that in terms of the demographics that Burnett wants to go after when he assembles a, a cast like this. And what I think was surprising for a lot of people was the kind of the fact that I'm not rigid, that there was creativity, that there was flexibility. I mean, I had no idea, obviously, that I was going to have to draw kind of women's high fashion, you know, dr- dresses for that, or, you know, develop a, a bottle design for Pepsi's, you know, for Pepsi Edge, or, you know, try to sell candy bars on the on the streets of Manhattan. I mean, the process was very revealing at, I think, a whole host of skill sets for everybody that was involved. And 
you either up to the task or you weren't. Did it ever make you think that maybe you should have been in some other industry than software? Well, that's a good question. Um, in the last six months, I've met you know a significant number of just very successful people in real estate. My fa- my father's also a real estate developer. I don't know if I kind of pushed back against getting into that as kind of a little rebellious nature from my father, but as I look at all of the energy and effort and money and career capital that I expended in the kind of the technology and internet fields, and I think about what, you know, where I might be or what I might be doing if I'd expended that same amount of energy or effort in real estate capacity. And it's pretty interesting. I am definitely going to be spending a lot more time in real estate. So now you're working for Trump. What exactly are your responsibilities? Three primary projects. Um, 40 Wall Street, a commercial one million square foot building right in downtown Manhattan. And I'm really actually working pretty closely with George Ross on that building in terms of I, again, my real my background is not in real estate, so this really isn't a real estate apprenticeship for me. Um, understanding everything from leasing to you know class A space to tenants to um, how the building operates are fascinating to me for me to understand. Uh, on the residential side, I'm working um, with our partners in Tampa, Florida, on Trump Tower, Tampa, and that's a 50-story, 190-unit residential condo development that's uh, going to be breaking ground at the end of the month. And in helping with the sales and promotion of that, I've learned a lot about how to market real estate property. Um, And of course, I'm learning all about the Trump brand, uh, which is as big a part of this as the real estate is in terms of the things that I'm learning. And then finally, I'm working on uh, Trump Ice, which is the water that the uh, contestants sold during season one uh, as part of one of the tasks. And I'm just basically setting up uh, bottlers and distributors across the United States and helping them to market and get the Trump Ice bottled water uh, out into the market. Does it taste better than New York City tap water? Oh, my gosh. It's the best water ever. (laughs) So you're really learning there, right? I am learning, Greg. Do you feel more like an executive or more like an apprentice? Uh, Do you get any of that executive responsibility while you're there? A couple of months ago, um, he promoted me to an executive vice president responsible for Trump Ice. So, I mean, I'm the, again, the buck kind of stops with me on Trump Ice. And then, obviously, like I said, not being a real estate expert, I'm definitely getting my, uh, I guess, my MBA in business by learning from, you know, some of the best in the business. Have you had to fire anyone yet? No, I haven't had to fire anyone yet. I'll leave that up to Mr. Trump. They still send people into his office to deliver the <laughs> praise? I, I, I haven't seen anybody fired yet. <laughs> the only okay. person that I actually saw, I guess, who did I see I saw fired? I was in the boardroom when Ivana got fired, and I was in the boardroom when he fired Jen. Do you admire that style? If if you were put in that position with one of your businesses to fire somebody, would your delivery be like uh, Trump's, or do you have your own style for that kind of? Uh, oh, situation? I I think that's part. That's that's for the that's for the cameras, and that's part big part of the show. That, I think that style would not be appropriate other than uh, some extenuating circumstances. And I'm not sure that that's how he actually, I can't imagine that's how he actually does it. As a West Coast person, how valuable do you find it is to be in New York, and and what's it like for you? Well, uh, New York is the center of the business universe. There's no question about it. Um, My network uh, has expanded radically. I actually went to West Point, which is about an hour north of the city, and I was born in Kentucky. I did some growing up in Florida, high school in Wyoming, so I'm pretty used to moving around. Um, I think it's part of my flexibility. 
But uh, I'm very much enjoying New York City. It's a phenomenal place to live. Is there a competitive environment among you and your coworkers now at Trump as there was when you were in The Apprentice? Or no, not at all. Um, Trump's got a phenomenal team here. There are there, there are more than a handful of people who've been him been with him for 20 to 30 years, and that type of you know loyalty and longevity in in a relationship speaks tantamount to his uh, leadership ability. So again, you're an entrepreneur in a corporate structure. Do you feel like you did when you were at Deloitte, raising your hand, asking for revenue shares? <laughs> um, it's funny you should ask that. I've, uh, um, I think Bill signed up for another year uh, with Mr. Trump, and you know I'm, I've got about five, five months left on our original agreement. I'm, uh, I'm looking at a bunch of different things. I think that you know, sometime down the road, uh, Mr. Trump and I will be working on stuff together. Um, I definitely, I mean, one of the great things he does is he allows for entrepreneurial activity inside the organization. So he'll give you as much chain as you can swim with. And uh, I'm always tempted to take a lot of chain. So we'll see what's hap- what happens going forward. Yeah, so it sounds like you're itching. I checked out your website. You're, uh, you're very big on the request for proposals. You've got your, uh, your LinkedIn social networking on there. What what are some of the most interesting pitches that you've gotten through your website and in general? Um, there are a lot of different um, opportunities that have come to me, whether it's you know board positions. Um, I just recently signed a book deal. The GI, you know, the GI factory. There are a whole bunch of different opportunities, and one of the interesting things now is really focusing in on the things that I want to do to build, you know, my brand to help the to help the Trump organization and do those things that make the most amount of sense. Winnowing them down and vetting them uh, has become an interesting process by itself. Um, I try to get back to everybody who writes anything to me. Not that I'm asking to be inundated by that, but there's a contact form and there's a you know set of forums on the website for people to ask questions. There's a lot of really great information in there for entrepreneurs. What's the craziest pitch that you've gotten through your website? The craziest pitch? I can't remember if it came in through the website or not, but we had somebody who's converted a... I think it's a 737 hull of an aircraft into a giant limo, and they want to, wanted to know if uh, uh, Mr. Trump wanted to paint Trump on the side of it and use it as some kind of a marketing device. I mean, that, that's one of them. There, there are a lot. <laughs> a lot of, I get a lot of different offers for some pretty crazy stuff. <laughs> I guess once you put yourself out there, you never know what's going to come in. Yeah, that's exactly right. So with your book deal, I heard you got a pretty sizable advance on that. How do you, how do you convince How would you hear that? What kind of nonsense is that? The uh, uh, Regnery Publishing, which is a phenomenal um, publisher, likes, likes the idea of hearing about a lot of the stuff that you've been asking me about in terms of entrepreneurially growing businesses, success in business, how my military background and the stuff that I learned has been applicable to that, not only there but you know, inside of the Trump Organization. I think you could fill up a library with books written by people who've somehow been involved with The Apprentice. How is yours going to set itself apart? Yeah, my, my, my focus is definitely not on The Apprentice. Um, one of the things that happened to me when I got, um, basically when I won the show, was I'd get questions like, how do you think your, or do you think your military background helped you? It's kind of what you asked me. And the first time I got asked that question, I started to explain it. About the 50th time I got asked that, I started scratching my head because I didn't, I don't understand why everyone doesn't realize what a phenomenal foundation and background the military provides to people. Three of my four younger brothers have also been in the military, and I've watched it turn them into just amazing young men. And what I wanted to do was take those 
those leadership principles that I learned in the military and kind of explain them specifically. Um, and then also have, you know, anecdotes from very successful business icons, uh, Ross Perot, Roger Staubach, uh, Pete Dawkins, Marsha Evans, the CEO of the Red Cross, um, Jim Kimsey, the founding CEO of AOL. All these people have military backgrounds. And they've all applied the different skills and leadership uh, principles that they've learned in the military to their business successfully. So what I wanted to do is to be able to convey that. I think that The Apprentice just happened to offer a, you know, 15 to 20 million people a week for 16 weeks got to see me doing those things. So it's a, it was a great kind of, I guess, window into my, you know, into my background, and the book will outline, you know, outline it much more clearly. So The Apprentice really brought entrepreneurship and a lot of what goes on in business into the public mind. Have you seen any changes in just kind of what's going on in America in general that you think The Apprentice influenced and kind of how people are thinking about their careers and their businesses? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, just the, you know, the hundreds of emails I receive, everyone I talk to, um, the people that were fascinated with the show, the following behind it. I mean, it turned basically, I mean, you've heard the expression Monday morning quarterback where people are talking about what should or shouldn't have happened in the, in the football game the day before, you know, Monday morning after the football games on Sunday. Like the coach made the wrong decision to do this or whatever it was. Well, The Apprentice allows for Monday morning quarterbacking for business. And everyone sits around the water cooler talking about it. And one of the things that's been phenomenal for me is I did not realize during the, sh- during the show how many kids watch the show. And I'm talking 8 to 15-year-olds. I think the younger one, I mean... I'm try- I've been trying to figure out why that's the case. I think they get to stay up an hour later <laughs> to watch okay. it. But it's also something that they can watch with their parents, and they talk with their parents about it. And if you think about the implication of spending an hour watching a show together and actually talking about it, what that does to the fabric of a family, and, and the fact that you're not talking about crazy stuff, you're actually talking about business principles or how to grow a business, it's just it's remarkable to me the impact that the show's had on kind of the thoughts about entrepreneurship in the United States. You've got these 10-year-olds watching and these kids, and for a lot of people, maybe their first experience seeing what goes on in the business world. And at the same time, it's a show that has to be entertaining. Like you mentioned, you'd say you're fired on The Apprentice a, a lot differently than you would in real life. So do you think that there are any misconceptions that the show gave to people who are watching it about who might think, even though this was done on the show for entertainment value, that maybe this is what happens in the business world? Well... I, I think that um, that the people part of the you know talking about it that goes on, you know the parents with the kids will be dis- discussing that or describing that to them, um, and I think a lot of people also realize that there is some entertainment value involved, and that's what that's a good part of it. Keeping it entertaining is what is part of what brings people back into it. Somebody who may not have thought, oh wow, I could go start my own business, um, will now think about it, and that's kind of the the bedrock of the United States, you know, capitalism is you can go out there and start your own business. It's part of the American dream. So to have some entertainment value add add to that and get more people to watch it or talk about it, I think is great. Aside from buying your book, what would be some of your other, when it comes out, what would be some of your other advice for those aspiring entrepreneurs who watch the show and they're thinking, you know, maybe I should quit my job tomorrow and start my business? I mean, it's, it's, it's really about in your heart. I mean, you don't want to be stupid about it. So I would say some of the things that you should definitely do are network. Um, I use, like, LinkedIn 
is one of the tools that I use. But I would definitely network all that I could. And that's not just online, but that's locally, too. So you need to get out in whatever, whatever vertical that you're thinking about starting your business in or whatever, you know, industry functions that you think you're going to need. You need to find the team, the other people, the vendors, the clients, and you need to get out there and start networking into it. Understanding how to raise money, taking advantage of local resources, the Better Business Association. They've got lots and lots of tools that help. I would talk to people who've done it successfully before who can mentor you in some capacity. There's a whole list of those types of activities that need to be done. I think actually in my forum somebody asked me that question once and I outlined it, uh, some of the different things, and a lot of other people chimed in with great ideas as well. I, you know, on kellyperdue.com in the forum section, there's a bunch of information on that. We're still in the morning. Uh, what's on your to-do list for today? Uh, I need to get two distributors closed. They've got the contracts outstanding. Uh, and I need to talk with George about one of the uh, other properties that we're working on and try to get a license agreement signed. If I get those three things done, I'll be ecstatic. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And uh, last question, what should we expect from you over the next few months? I guess keep your, uh, keep your eyes and ears open. There should be some interesting stuff coming up. You can certainly check. I mean, I keep things pretty updated on PellyPerdue.com, but I'm, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of things in the works that I, I don't want to spoil any of it, so uh, you're going to have to watch and see. So you'll keep surprising everyone. Well, I hope so. I mean, I want to pleasantly surprise everyone. How's that? <laughs> yeah, that's a good qualifier. Hey, well, thanks a lot for coming on the show on Venture Voice. It's great to have you. Hey, Greg, thank you. That was our interview with Kelly Purdue. It sounds like this isn't the last we're going to hear from him and that he's certainly going to leverage all the momentum he's built up with his appearance on The Apprentice. Again, he's mentioned a lot of things out there, all his companies, uh, it's hard to believe how many he's worked on, but they're all listed on our website, VentureVoice.com, where we link to uh, details about them, uh, the ones that are still around anyhow. We're always looking for new ideas, who to interview, what industries we want to hear from. Be sure to email us, talk at VentureVoice.com. If you had thoughts about this show, you can go on our website, VentureVoice.com, to leave a comment and talk with the other listeners. We look forward to having you back for our next show.